one thing that I think Jeff mentioned earlier was about creatives aren't inherently good at business and sales and having the confidence to be able to, you know, speak their contract. You didn't say that part. I said that part, but um, they, they don't feel so confident on the business side. This is where they can really lean on to the contract to help support them because fear-based or creatives are worried about rejection. You know, most entrepreneurs are, but definitely creatives. And you can utilize that contract in the fashion when it mirrors the relationship to help you have kind of have a backbone, right? Because you may not want to say no, let the contract say no for you. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're also thrilled to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. The title today is Growing Your Creative Business, Business Growth and Legal Strategies from an Entrepreneurial Lawyer. That's right. We're talking business growth in conjunction with legal strategies, and we're talking to a lawyer about it. We have Rachel Brinke with us, and she is certainly a different type of lawyer. Before she went to law school, she started and ran and grew several businesses. So she was an entrepreneur before she was a lawyer. And now as a lawyer, she and her firm works with businesses and owners, especially business owners and entrepreneurs in the creative space, not only protect their business in terms of legal strategies, but more importantly, figure out strategies to grow their business and to build their legal strategies around in alignment with that business growth. That may seem like crazy talk to you, but it's a conversation that needs to be had. And it's one that's important to you if you've got that creative business and you wanna look at what does it mean to grow my business, especially to have the life you want. What do I need to get in terms of legal advice, legal services? How can I do my contracts differently? I'm gonna tell you, you may think this is a legal conversation. This is about a business growth strategy in the backdrop of law and legal advice. You do not want to miss it. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We're excited to be back here today. I'm particularly excited because we've got a lawyer with us. Please, please <laughs> don't stop listening just because you heard that. You know, I'm an ex-lawyer and, and I'm occasionally interesting. So trust us on this. This is a fascinating <laughs> guest today. We have Rachel Brinke with us. She's coming to us from Fredericksburg, Virginia. She is a multifaceted entrepreneur, business strategy, and yes, an intellectual property attorney. She's a very successful lawyer. She helps small businesses protect their brands. She also has very successful legal niche brands, including the Law, the law Tog, Fit Legally, and blog legally. Now here's some of the interesting backstory. She's a mother of five, wife of an army vet, practicing lawyer. She's written seven books. She's a cancer survivor. She's also a Team USA athlete and something we'll learn more about called the Aquathon. But she's got a podcast. She's got through her brands and all of her services, she helps creative entrepreneurs with business strategy and legal needs 
such as the basics, but also the strategy that helps them actually grow. So imagine that we've got a lawyer who helps businesses grow. What? Try, Not just try to stay in your seats, folks, because I know <laughs> I've had people fall off bar stools for, well, probably for alcohol consumption reasons <laughs> over the years, thinking about a lawyer actually helping businesses grow. So welcome, Rachel, to this wild conversation. Thanks for having me. You know, I always cringe when people lead with a lawyer because I'm like, oh, they're going to hang up the podcast. They're not going to want to listen. You know, y'all can't see me right now. I've got nose ring and ripped jeans. I'm not the typical attorney. <laughs> I try to lead with entrepreneur first and then yeah. kind of slide the lawyer in on the back end. Yeah, it is interesting. Oftentimes we think of attorneys as trying to protect against things, you know, that may happen in the business, not necessarily grow. So glad to, glad to hear that somebody's uh, actually looking at the other side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, and that comes from the entrepreneur side of me, right? Like I have other businesses that are non-legal and, you know, related. And so I actually started there and we'll get into that. So, but so I always look at it from a perspective of I'm wanting to create a business to have the life that I want in order to do that. I have to not just the legal stuff, but I have to grow. I mean, we have to keep making money. We got to keep changing. And <laughs> that's really more top of mind, probably a little bit more than the legal, but just depends on the situation. Well, we're going to get into the story. I have to ask you though, Rachel, based on your comment over the years, I've been, I practiced 17 years. I've now been out almost 20 years. Wow. But what's fascinating is people will introduce me today because they know a little of that. They lead with lawyer. And I also <laughs> cringe. I'm like, I think what I've learned is that people really still put that on, on a bit of a pedestal. Like that's a big deal. So we're going to, you know, Jeff's a lawyer. I'm like, why are you telling them that? That's going to make them stop listening right now. <laughs> they don't want to meet me now. So it sounds like you've had the similar experience. Well, even this morning, I was surfing around Facebook, poking around, and we have a local city, county, community group, and someone posted in there about an issue they're having with their own attorney. And of course, what were the barrage of comments? Oh, attorneys steal. They don't care about you, blah, blah, blah. And what? I'm over there like, this is everything I'm trying to fight against. I didn't <laughs> want to get involved in that cesspool. But, you know, I just was like, that's really where I try to put myself forward that I'm completely different than most other attorneys. Well, Give everybody a little bit of that backstory to feed into our conversation today. Yeah, it's actually funny that I end up being an attorney because I never really thought I would fit into the nine to five cubicle farm type of thing, <laughs> especially when I was diagnosed with cancer at age 20. I'm like, no, I want to make my own way, pad my own pockets, fulfill my own dreams. And I still fought <laughs> against kind of like society push to, you know, go to college, you do this, you go sit in an office, you schlep up and down 95 to DC and back. And I did that a few times, worked with the attorney general's office while I was building uh, my different businesses. I've had different online ones that I've, you know, successfully grown, sold off, still was fighting, got my MBA, fighting against that whole pressure, did um, obviously law school, and then came out the other side and realized how I could combine entrepreneurship strategy and legal protection to help others who also don't necessarily fit into the nine to five type of, and nothing wrong with that. If that's your thing, just me, I've never really been that type. Um, and I know many others didn't either. And I absolutely love the way that we have platforms like podcasts like this. Yeah. So you can learn and grow and not necessarily have to do check the box of what society tells you. So Rachel, let me just sort of walk through the timeline here. So mm -hmm. You had these other businesses before you started practicing law. Mm -hmm. so you were an entrepreneur first. First, yep. Give yep, us a, a little bit of a flavor of those businesses. You yeah. mentioned online. Just give us some of the a flavor of what was Rachel before law. 
Yeah. So yeah, it was online. It was MySpace days. So predated Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Blogging was more of like personal blogging. You were starting to see some monetization, but not much. Uh, I was staying home, going through the cancer treatments. We only had one kid at the time. And so I did kind of like online designing of apparel, um, you know, print on demand type of stuff. There's that's super common now. It was very new on the scene when I did that. Um, I worked on that. I did dabble in real estate for a little bit as a realtor. Um, and I just realized I liked the flexibility of kind of like an online virtual based business military at the time. And now I just love to travel. And so, yeah, the non-legal businesses really have been centered around the most random things. I've owned a co-working space, um, a co-photography studio before. Now I have the law firm and that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, 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 you didn't ask me this, but I don't know which business I love the most. Like whatever one I'm working <laughs> in is the one that I love at that time. <laughs> now I would imagine with your with your husband being in the military, you you probably move every now and then. Do you find that? I mean, clearly the online makes a lot of sense, but then when mm-hmm. you have the physical places like co working facility or you know, is your legal practice location based or is it over you know, lots of different areas? I would imagine that move is going to be an issue. How yeah, luckily. Luckily, he's out now, so we're a little bit more stable, but that was one of the reasons, you know, initially that I was like, I need a flexible um, business because I didn't want to go work in office anywhere and moving every couple of years. We were fortunate enough. We kind of stayed in the same area a bit, but Mm -hmm. he was in and out deployed. So I would come home with my parents, have support with the kids. So it was still moving back and forth. Uh, But yeah, that flexibility aspect, I wanted that anyways for life, but then it was almost like it was demanded. You know, I needed it. You know, I could go work in an office, but then I was also looking when I graduated law school, interesting enough, I already had my different businesses going and I still was fighting that whole, oh, I got to go work in an office. And in law school for a little bit, I was like, you know, I want to go be a prosecutor. So I'm like, well, let me look around. And I had our third baby my last year of law school. And so I'm looking around at jobs. And yeah, not recommended. Zero stars, (laughs) not recommend. I had won the first year, won the third year. Oh my Uh, gosh. Yeah, but I was looking and I looked at the salary requirements and I looked at what the daycare was going to be and also what I was making in my businesses. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And so that's really when I was like, the law firm's going to be virtual. We're going to be flexible. And I already was working with other small business owners because I had seen what I had been doing. I was doing the strategy stuff. So mm-hmm. it kind of all came together. And I do a lot of contracts and business stuff, which is state specific, but more so trademark and copyright, which is mm-hmm. federal. So that's a bit more flexible. Okay. Well, Rachel, let's give everybody a little more flavor. I know in the intro, we said that you work a lot in your law practice or law business with creative entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what does that exactly mean? I, I have some thoughts, but what is, who are your typical clients? Yeah. So what's interesting is those other brands that you mentioned. So I have blogs that have like legal resources. So the law talk is for photographers, fit legally is for fitness professionals. And then I kind of have a conglomerate that just follows the the regular Rachel Brinke. But really the nexus, the most of my practice is around photographers, graphic designers. So anyone with like creative type of output, because it's really not only, you know, all businesses have intellectual property, business name, logo, marketing assets. But when you're working with photographers or videographers, graphic designers, stationary, 
you're, they also have the output, their output, their actual product is also intellectual property. So it's even just a broader way, um, more services that I can provide for all around protection of all that they're doing. And yeah, I love it and I enjoy it. And I just love because the day and age, and this is probably a bit more we want to get into, but this day and age, infringement is rampant. I mean, look at social media. People are ripping photos off here, there, you know, everywhere. And it's constant right before we got on here. I had just responded to someone saying about an infringement situation. And I said, it happens every day. We see it hundreds of times a day. And so I love being able, being able to be one little piece of that, especially for creatives, because they're so creative minded. They kind of need that legal business strategy to <laughs> right. help even them out, right? They're really good at creativity, way more than me, <laughs> but I'm really good with like the logical and the protection side. Gotcha. So Rachel, one thing I've seen, um, especially through friends who are in the creative space, it's rare, and I'll just say this and let people fire their arrows back. It's rare actually in the creative space that the people are also really good at the business growth strategy mm -hmm. and also at sales. Yes. You know, I have a friend who's in the creative space and she did really well because she had a business mind along with a creative mind and she was really knew how to sell. And a lot of times she was coaching people in the mm -hmm. creative space. You got to do something differently. You can't just put it out there and people love you and they come and write you checks. So how much of that are you adding value to your creative clients beyond the legal work? Yeah, you know, I love that you brought this up because it's of no fault of a creative having that mindset, right? They, they're, That's why they're so good creatively because right. their brain power is not being sucked up with this other stuff. Like with me, I'm not super creative, I guess maybe in my legal writing, but you know, I'm heavier on the other side of the brain. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because I think you're going to find the exceptions, right? In any industry, especially creative, you'll find those that walk the middle of the line. They're able to balance the two very well. But the majority of clients that I do have are, I wouldn't say they suffer from, you know, not being business inclined, but they have to put the effort into it. And I think that's one thing that I enjoy with the position that I'm in is by the time they come to me, they have already gone through the woes of being a creative. You know, they want to have, they have that taste and desire to acquire that business sense. So they're like a sponge when they come to me and I'm walking them through business strategy and so forth. And I also feel like I do a decent job of this in my marketing as well. I talk very business strategy heavy to attract people that want more information about that. You know, I do have some clients of the law firm that are super creative, loosey goosey, who love a wonderful, you know, wonderful creatives, but they just can't get the business side together. And oftentimes it's, you know, chasing them to get this done and that done. And I understand that legal is the last thing anyone wants to do with. <laughs> I mean, even me, right? The cobbler's children have no shoes because I just, I would rather not be doing my own legal work. <laughs> and I know that sounds so weird, but I love business and marketing a little yeah. bit more. But yeah, so, you know, I'm thankfully blessed that many of my clients see the need for the business strategy in the growth um, because they also want, they have a very specific goal they want to work towards. So it doesn't take a lot of arm twisting to convince them and to teach them, you know, to help supplement that creative aspect that they already have. Well, I'm curious about something, Rachel. It's been a few years since I was heavy around the lawyers, but I remember lawyers over the years, one of my missions was I want to be their business advisor, mm. not their lawyer. But I had lawyers say, well, you can't do that. You're not, you don't have an MBA or something. I said, you've got it backwards. The rest of the world can't practice law That's without right. a license. Being a business advisor is what value you add. It has nothing to do with certification. Are you still seeing that in the legal world? 
So actually, I feel like that's one thing that sets me apart. And I use the MBA just because it's kind of like a stamp of approval. But I agree with you. I don't think you need one. I think actually... I have said this on many podcasts before. If you're looking at going into business, great. But nothing in, that I learned in my MBA really made sense until I was real world practicing it. It was all like this theory, you know? And I felt like I could have done without it. I could have done without those loans. <laughs> that very expensive frame on my wall now. But um, yeah, I I actually feel like the way that our law firm sets ourselves apart, because it's not just me, I also have contract attorneys in different states that do different work for me. And when I'm looking to hire them, I want them to have business sense first, because I can teach the legal stuff. Right. I can teach you that copyright law is A, B, and C, but I can't teach you to look at and understand someone's business long-term. And in fact, this is how we set ourselves apart too with our clients. When you come to me, we're not a restaurant. Sure, you can tell me this issue that you have, but we're going to talk about that issue, but we're also going to do a whole legal strategy assessment of where you're at now and where you're going. So we are partnering, you know, that business sense, but also because I'm helping these entrepreneurs, many small business, many solos that are going to, they're going to save money, time, and energy if we take the business-minded uh, approach first and then supplement it with legal. Whereas I feel, because I hear so many times from other just last week, I was at a conference and this couple came up to me and they're like, oh, I wish you had someone licensed in my state. I do now. Uh, but they're like, you know, we went to this other guy and he just pulled some stuff on the internet. He didn't know anything about our business. And I never yeah. want my clients to feel that way. Because I feel like it's all intertwined. Yeah. It's all a tapestry that's weaved together. You can't be doing contracts and copyright and trademark without understanding their business and how business works in order to really give good service and good legal protection. Now, do you find that with the more creative approach or the, the more creative clients that they may not have the vision for where they want to take their business and they really need some guidance in that or that oftentimes they want to sit small? Where where do they fall in that? Yeah, I think that and I think that's where being, you know, doing a strategy for so long because I did that prior to law kind of comes in because I know the right questions now to ask. I have my own type of processes that we use internally for my own businesses that I can run them through. And sometimes you do have to extract that from them. Even if you're someone who's listening, you're like, oh, I would love to integrate this. It's not a one and done process. Like when my clients come in, not only am I doing that initial call to get the whole strategy, identify all the needs to help, you know, make sure that we can uh, forward plan for anything in the future, but we need to have that on a routine basis because you kind of just touched on it. They may be playing small this year. They're going to institute some things that all of a sudden their trajectory to success is going to be quick. They're already going to hit that goal. And so we need to come back to the table again and talk about what the next goals are. So it's not just the beginning of the process. It's staying in tune with your clients because in the end, that also benefits me. I'm able to identify services that they need, serve them, but also obviously create revenue for the firm. Gotcha. Rachel, one of the things I want to highlight around the creative space is I think it's more prevalent with creatives than anywhere else is creative saying, do I really need a lawyer? And can I just go do this online, do legal Zoom or something? I think I hear that more from creatives than others. I hear it everywhere. Talk about that. What's going on in the market today with that and how you address it? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is I have the law firm, then I have these legal blogs that have contract template forms and courses. So they're kind of this in between, I wouldn't call them like a pseudo legal zoom or anything like that. Cause legal zoom is actually rendering services for you. I will tell you first, I tell my clients and I have articles about this. I do social media posts. 
clients come to me to clean up the messes that LegalZoom and those other places make because they're nothing more than them taking the form off the government website, sticking on theirs and upcharging. There's no real true legal advisement. So let's take trademarks, for example. I was just having this conversation with a potential client this morning is, yeah, the price looks attractive, but less with trademarks, over 55% of trademark applications this is trying to protect your business name and your logo, are rejected. What do you do then? Well, LegalZoom kind of drops you off a cliff and says, go find an attorney. Or if they get you someone, there's someone that's working on like a high volume basis. They're not going to really be able to put the time and attention, even if it's a cheap dollar for you, but put the time and attention into that application for like, say your business name, you only really get one bite at the apple. And once you're fully rejected, you're not able to overcome these, what's called office actions, you know, rejections from the trademark office. It's very difficult to try to come back around. What does that mean? And this, and what I'm saying to you is exactly how I phrase it. You would have to rebrand. You would have to go and completely rebrand, commit all these financial and physical and mental resources to rebranding and remarketing simply because you wanted to cheap out on the trademark side. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's just one example though. So yeah, I know, I know it's attractive to say, Oh, it's only 500 bucks at legal zoom. Rachel charges like three to 4,000. I also don't just have an application. We're like an all flat rate. Don't have to worry about budget. We handle everything from beginning to end and through the first year of trademark maintenance And for me, it's just setting myself apart, you know, like creating a flat rate package that they don't have to worry about if it gets rejected, they're going to have to worry about an hourly bill or making sure they get all the things that you need. And at the end of the day, if there's people that don't see the value in the way that I consistently explain this and show them the value, they're not my client. And that's just, that's business across the board. Like you can't fight in this race to the bottom. So I'm not concerned. Do I get irritated when I see people use LegalZoom? Sure. And I always get the comments of, well, I use LegalZoom and I didn't have an issue. And I'm thinking, you ne- and I always say this, you never have an issue until you have an issue. So it may sound great now, but what's going to happen when there is a potential infringement situation in six years, le- where the hell is LegalZoom going to be? They're sure as hell not going to help you. Yeah. I, am I, allowed, I didn't know if I'm allowed to cuss. So I try to keep it a little. Okay. I get excited about this topic because legal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just because let's, let's go back to the basics. So we talked about the very beginning of the podcast. This is about running a business, to be able to live the life I want. The last thing, again, that I want to be doing is having to deal with legal crap. So why not hedge your bets, go to the expert, invest in your business and it's tax deductible and avoid all these potential issues. Yeah. Now, do you find that when when you're dealing with the the flat fee versus mm-hmm. hourly rates is the is the industry moving that way is it more isolated and what's the pros and cons of each yeah so transactional work there's a huge change and we especially saw this during pandemic when you know many law firms shut down, people had to go out and hang their own shingles. And all of a sudden they're stuck having to figure out how to bill and trust accounts and all this sort of stuff. I, for the, I dabbled in some hourly and I still have a little bit of hourly work, but I was even just joking with another attorney I was on the phone with last night. I'm like, I don't even bill my clients for like an email because it's more time for me to right. go and put it into the system. Like I just let them have it and hope the goodwill comes back. But if you're hourly only practice, you can't do that. Yeah, I think the overall, the industry, the legal industry, especially if you're in transactional work, especially if you're serving business to business, serving small business, um, it flat rate is the way to go. It's easier on me administratively. And it's also better for small businesses because then they can control the cost. Right. They're not having to sit there and twiddle their thumbs, worried they're going to get an $18,000 bill. 
And I had that happen to me as the client. And I was aghast when I got it. And I said to myself, I'm never going to do this to a client. And, you know, if you have big corporate clients, it's probably better to do hourly bill it that way because you're going to make more money. But I have to be very price and cost sensitive to small businesses um, because many of them are in their first few years of business. And so they they they're straddling that line. They've heard me and listened to me how important it is. But the reality is they can only pay what they have. And so I try to meet them in the middle. I'm not racing to the bottom. I'm not going to compete with LegalZoom in those places. But so I try to just, you know, like mentioned before, packaging and different, making sure all the things they need is together. So it's not like this constant upsell process. They feel like they're getting hit up every time they pay once they feel secure, they get their stuff done. And, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see the legal industry moving this way. We saw a lot of changes with the pandemic because before that, so funny, I would be at those boring legal, like networking events, rubbing shoulders and all the attorneys would be like, can we send you clients? Like so concerned that I am a virtual only law firm. And I'm like, no, can I send you them? Cause I have like a six month wait list right now. And <laughs> so you would see their eyes go kind of big they kind of saw the difference they saw because they just couldn't, it's so old school industry. Right. And I think that we're seeing, and I say this, it's just the circle of life. The older attorneys are retiring and passing on. So we're having this crop of younger people, mid age, like myself, who are the social media age and who do embrace the virtual and zoom. And so I had done all that before a pandemic, when pandemic happened and everything shut down, we didn't feel a hiccup. I mean, we had more clients because they're like, oh my gosh, but all our infrastructure was in place. All our flat rate pricing was in place. We didn't have to run around like chickens with their heads cut off. Well, all I saw all these local attorneys freaking out because they didn't know what to do because they no longer had their big fancy offices. Anyway, so <laughs> tangent, but I, 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 I'm seeing the trends in the virtual aspect and the flat rate aspect for transactional stuff. And I think it's wonderful for the industry. Yeah. Rachel, let me check in on another mindset question. Mm-hmm. Too often business owners, especially entrepreneurs, because they're running on cash issues, they te- often see lawyers as something I'm someone I'm paying for protection. Mm-hmm. So it's a cost to minimize risk. And if they see it that way, they're often not going to invest in a lawyer mm-hmm. because they say, I, I'm not willing to pay for that protection. So how do you help business owners and entrepreneurs shift that mindset? I do the math, kind of like what we mentioned a little bit ago about the example of the trademark. I mean, if I sit there and run the numbers and say, hey, you could pay, let's just do a round number of $4,000 for trademark, all inclusive flat rate. And you know, it's going to be taken care of. You know that you're going to be able to get it passed at the trademark office. Well, if you decide to go get the $500 one at LegalZoom, but then you have issues, okay, you're probably looking at 10, 15 hours of maybe $300 an hour billable, add that number, plus add that if you can't overcome an issue, the trademark office, how much you're gonna have to pay for logo and marketing and rebranding. That's when that mindset, they start going, crap, I don't want to spend $30,000 and all this energy yeah. on a rebrand. I would, the 4,000 is looking a lot better now. Are you finding that your clients are coming to you wanting the they want the business strategy and when yes. you offer it are or is it a hard sell do you have to pull them along or they're like oh my god thank god someone can help me with that no i think because i do i pat myself on the back i feel like i do a fairly solid job of in social media and my podcast even when it's like copyright 101 podcast we're going to talk strategy through the whole thing and so the foundation's already been laid those that aren't interested in strategy and not interested in me you know getting in and 
you know, picking through all your business, dirty laundry, they're not going to come to me. Um, sure. I mean, sometimes you have people like, oh, I just want you to do this. And I'm like, okay, but you're not going to get your full service. For the most part, I think most people do come for, I have so many clients now who um, they're my few hourly, they'll do flat rate stuff, but they'll send me emails. It's all business strategy. It's less and less legal because we've done all the big legal things. And so throughout the year, it's more business strategy questions, hmm. which I love. I, I enjoy that because I'm also at the same time keeping a pulse on their business. So if I see a potential legal issue, I can hop right in. Gotcha. Well, you use the word partner. You said you partner with your clients. And frankly, everybody says that. I mean, but talk about what that really means, not beyond the word of partnering with your clients. I mean, it's getting in and really caring about, it's going to sound so woo-woo, but caring about their life. Like one of the things that I do with my consulting clients, and I don't necessarily directly ask these questions with my legal clients in the same way, but I'll say, okay, how do you envision your business this year? Five years, 10 years, the typical. But then I ask, what about your life? What are you trying to accomplish in your personal life? And how can we make business to be the supporting actor. And that's where I feel like I really become a partner with them because I'm not so much a uh, professional servicer at that point. I'm someone who's looking at these points and holding their hands. And I think also my experience and what I've done speaks for itself. People come to me, you know, maybe not directly everything I'm saying on this podcast, but very specific things. They see how I've crossed over from non-legal into legal or from, um, you know, physical brick and mortar into virtual, they pick the pieces and they tell me, and those are the things that I hone in on, help flesh out with them. So we make sure that we're not only making the legal plays, but also the strategy plays together. That's, I think that's the key thing is together. I'm not just simply saying, okay, here's this, go do that. I keep on top of them and I've never had any client tell me, oh my gosh, you're serving me too much. (laughs) 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 I don't do that anymore. Um, I have had clients with me for so many years and they'll constantly say that, well, they won't say it in the way of, oh, high five. Thanks for the business strategy. I can just tell by the increased amount of questions throughout the year. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Welcome to Don't Retire Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Welcome back. 
Well, what I one thing I want to highlight for everybody is because what you've described in sharing is you're really not telling people about the value. You're showing them the value by asking the questions you do. Your questions are very different. And I think a lot of people need to hear that and remember that one of the best ways to impact others is through the questions we ask. We can differentiate through our questions versus our telling. And I love that that's how you're approaching it. Well, you know, these questions are ones that we use internally. So I have multiple teams. There's kind of crossover. They all know each other. We're actually looking at trying to do a Walt Disney World trip together. So all the businesses can come together. Uh, but we internally, we have these questions like the real business definition, real life definition. I ask that of my team members too. So while I may also say that to one of my clients who runs their own business, I'm turning to my team members and I'm saying, how do you define this? Here's my definition for me as a business. Here's my definition for me as a person, but I want to know yours as well. And the way that we, and it actually is the very first episode of my podcast really flushes this, um, this uh, exercise out a bit more. I want to know what their key rocks are in their life. I don't use this terminology with legal clients necessarily, but I say, what are the things that are most important in your life that you want to accomplish this next year? We try to do it in January, December, January timeframe. And then we kind of touch base with it throughout the year. It's a guidepost for us of our decisions in the business and in personal. And that way I can take into account their personal goals. Like for example, last year when I, was it last year? Whatever, whenever 2020 was, whenever that <laughs> feels like, it was like a decade ago at this point. But at the beginning of 2020, I had asked my team, what are, the, what are your rocks in life? What are the most important things? And one of them had said, uh, fitness, getting healthier and being healthy and active for their kids. I was like, that's wonderful. Had that in the back of my mind. I always try to allow flexibility for that kind of stuff. When pandemic hit, everything shut down. Obviously, we all know that, live that. And I was able to then take from that, okay, how can I incentivize my team that also correlates to rock? So like my team lead ended up earning a Peloton and subscription mm -hmm. with that. And so that's that's just a real life example, how we do that internally, but they're the exact same questions that I ask outside. And I know that they're true, um, that they're going to work. Another example is my big rock for 2020 was being able to travel and spend time with family. Little did I know that I'd be virtual teaching or <laughs> teaching from home, five kids. Um, but by having that rock in mind and the whole team knew about it, then when it came to like guest appearances like this or traveling for speaking, if that was coming back, we, we limited it because I wanted to be able to meet that personal goal. So you can see how it directly impacts business and vice versa, yeah. because one of the things, and you kind of, I little alluded to this earlier, it popped in my mind when you started to ask this question is many times as business owners, especially if you're very new in your business, whether it's your first business or your 10th business, you have this sense of fear. And that's probably another reason people don't invest in legal stuff. You're not sure if you're going to be able to make it. But the unfortunate thing is we allow for that fear to overtake us, especially if you're someone in a position where your family is, you know, financially dependent upon you. You have team members that are financially dependent. And so you start making decisions from a place of fear. You start getting burnout. You start taking clients that are not necessarily the ones that you would want. You start, you know, pricing to the bottom to try to have more high volume. And I get it. I've done it. I have recreated that process over and over. And I have to really stop myself and go, okay, this is the season of life. 
what are the rocks that I want and reorient myself so I'm not making decisions from a place of fear. Do I think there's an element of healthy fear? Sure. But I'm talking about like the terrifying fear that you wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden you rip apart your business and undo everything you've been putting into it in this quick pivot. And you don't feel good about it, but you're just trying to make some money. You're trying to make headway, right? You don't really understand why you're doing it. You just see fear. And if you have these rocks and these questions that we've walked through here can really help orient you because the key to business is not necessarily being the best at everything. It is being consistent and serving. If you are consistent and serve your audience and being clear with that, you're going to have whatever your version of success is. So Rachel, let me, let me dig into that a little bit. One thing I would believe based on my experience with creatives is creatives might have either an elevated, elevated or additional level of fear because what they're selling is their creation, which is a, there's a lot more ownership and concern about that judgment of is that creative thing that I've created good enough, which I think might be a little different than I created this idea or I created this product. Do you run into that and how do you help them navigate that additional layer or depth of fear? Yeah. Plus, I also think just creatives in general are a bit more in tune with emotions. That's why they're so good with being creative. They're, they can tap into emotions, but it's a double-edged sword. They can also be completely crippled by emotions, especially with like what you just said. It's really for me, I know it's really easy for me to sit here and be like logical, follow the answers, look at your rocks, but you have the real world element of being human. So when I, you know, you're saying ask the questions, you know, people need to be asking these sort of questions. It's not even just the questions is listening to hear what they say in response. You know, half of communications and relationships is just hearing and validating someone else's feelings. Oftentimes when I have a creative client come to me freaking out and scared, they just want to be heard that they're scared and have that validated and it can dissipate so quickly and they start gaining confidence by taking these smaller steps by, okay, let's talk about this first quarter. Let's talk about the next year. You know, I, someone that has a fear like that creative base, I won't start such big picture. Those are the ones that'll be like little steps. We'll incrementally talk and like month by month, quarter by quarter, someone else has very more other side of the brain. Like me, we can, you know, we can get a bit more mechanical. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, and I don't want to say holding hand to make it sound derogatory, but you do want to look at your clients, validate their feelings, and just listen to how they're responding to these questions. And sometimes that's difficult for me. And it's almost like being a therapist in a way. And as a lawyer, you know, you, I feel like we negotiate with our clients more than we do opposing counsel a lot of times. But it's, it's, you see the answer for that. But sometimes you have to help them lead themselves to that answer. You can't just tell them the answer. Are you fine? I guess, actually, I want to ask a couple specific questions. Are you familiar with a concept? I, I think it's called conscious contracts. Mm -mm. I, I met somebody in the last six months on Zoom. They're in the legal space. Um, the, the concept is to really rethink contracts, the whole concept, because most contracts are form contracts with, mm -hmm. you know, 30 pages to cover. It's the same 30 pages for $1,500 transaction as a $1.5 billion yeah. contract, right? <laughs> and it's, it's basically about this idea of making contracts more relational. Mm -hmm. Keep the protection, but have them be not just simpler language, but more intentional and thoughtful. And I'm curious whether it's that label or not. Are you changing how you do the legal stuff? 
to create a different reality for your clients? Yes, I love that you asked this question. This dovetails really good with what we were just talking about. When I go to sit and write like a photography services contract, it's going, that contract is binding the photographer and their client together for photography services and products. I like to draft it in a way that mirrors the photographer's workflow, right? Because as humans, we crave comfortability in what we are, um, or, or what we're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What, what's, com- what's comfortable is, what's normal to us, what, what we can expect, right? So I will write the contract, and you're talking about simpler language and all that sort of stuff, yes. But in a timeline fashion, from the very beginning of how to book the photographer, the next step, if there's like a consultation, if the session and so on, because this will also equip the photographer to help them feel them not only feel more comfortable, but the client to feel more comfortable because then they're going to be able to see the handholding from step to step to step of the entire process. This helps to eliminate potential communication issues between mm-hmm. the photographer and client. It helps for the cl- the photographer to feel better about the contract because it's, it's their workflow. I'm just putting it into legal terms. And it's and it helps them when they're having to communicate to the client. Clients asking, well, what's the next step? We you can I go to my client or my photographer, my photographer client, and I say, you're going to walk your client through paragraph one, paragraph two, paragraph three, but not in the way that you think. When you're done with taking the initial booking, you'll essentially go to paragraph two. You'll then tell the client that's the next step. And you can, they already, they understand workflows. It's ingrained in what photographers do from the, from the photography session all the way through the, um, the post-processing and delivery. So yeah, I love this idea of trying to make them more relatable as opposed to just sticking a whole bunch of different um, terminology into a contract. I'm very purposeful. It's almost like puzzle piece, right? There's an art yeah. to contract writing. And that's what I, that's what I mentioned earlier, my creativeness and my writing and contract drafting. I love being able to reverse engineer based on the, the business owner themselves, their approach and their product and service to be able to craft it. So it's not just one form contract. I love the idea behind that because I've, I've seen so many legal documents that are really old school you know, it, it, you can clearly tell it's, a, it's an attorney writing that and they have no regard for who else is going to be reading it. And then I've seen some other contracts and, or, and legal documents that have a much better um, feel, you know, mm-hmm. for the language and, and so forth. But I like the idea of actually crafting them around the relationship. Love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I mean, and then no, one thing I think Jeff mentioned earlier was about creatives aren't inherently good at business and sales and having the confidence to be able to, Hmm. you know, speak their contract. You didn't say that part. I said that part, but um, (laughs) they they don't feel so confident on the business side. This is where they can really lean on to the contract to help support them because fear-based or creatives are worried about rejection. You know, most entrepreneurs are, but definitely creatives and you can utilize that contract in the fashion when it mirrors the relationship to help you have kind of have a backbone, right? Because you may not want to say no, let the contract say no for you. So we're going to craft it in a way. So it's setting these boundaries. I almost think of it like a maze or the, um, the ping pong table, not ping pong. I don't know what the game is. Anyways, you you're wanting to guide the client. So we're giving the, the photographer the tool for them to guide their own client, but also guides them into a support situation if they need one. 
Um, yeah, actually, I love this. I'm going to jot all this down. I'm going to start using this to tell my clients because I didn't think about it until you asked me this question of how I piece it together. I've just naturally done that. I don't know if that's a byproduct of, I wasn't intentional to say, let's make this relational. <laughs> I think it's just a byproduct of being in those shoes, being a photographer, have, you know, having done this, what was more comfortable for me and what was more well-received by their clients. Well, I think one thing that I'm coming away with in this, Rachel, is how important it is for you to walk the talk. You know, you're building a business that happens to practice law. That's the umbrella. But you're not treating it like a practice. You're treating it like the business. And you're talking your own talk because I think a lot of times lawyers and law firms, they've got this traditional system and they go out and say, I want to be your business advisor. But there's nothing they're doing that suggests that they even know what that is. And I think so many people need to remember, you know, you got to walk your talk and no one's going to buy what you're selling unless you're showing it every day. And that's actually one of the unique positions that I will bring to the table in my marketing to say that I've run businesses outside of running a law firm and running a law firm is a business too, but I've run a creative business. I've run brick and mortar. I know the pain points for all those. I have been, and I am in the trenches. So I understand what's going on in these different industries, not to knock any, you know, obviously my lawyer kind, they're running their own firms, but that's kind of one of my ways of setting myself up myself apart a little bit is that I have done that. And, you know, and that, and I'm glad you bring that up because I feel get on my soapbox a little bit, you know, on the, the business coaching and strategy side of things, it's cool. It's trendy. Now you've got people reckless out here, not lawyers necessarily, but just general people. And that's great. You don't have to be an MBA um, or license or anything like that in order to teach business, but we're having folks, especially we saw this during pandemic, who are coming out the gate, they're taking a course from someone, then they're turning around and creating their own course and trying to coach and all this sort of thing. Hey, I was doing business coaching a strategy before it was cool. Okay. Basically. <laughs> all right. But it, you know, it is happening. And so I think what is important for those that are listening, don't just look at business coach, biz strategist, look at the receipts, look at the evidence, right? And that's what I love about this conversation we have had here is I'm able to share these different facets my approach and my successes, we haven't even talked about failures. I've got them there too. But if you're going to trust somebody, whether it's an attorney that you think has a business mind or just a business coach separately, you need to look to see exactly what Jess said. Do they walk the walk or are they just regurgitating something that they paid someone else to learn? Well, I love that you talk about your experience, Rachel, because I think that really does set you apart. I, I've talked to lots of attorneys. They go to school, they get their degree and they go practice. They don't have any, what I'll call real world experience actually running a business mm -hmm. and especially not multiple businesses like you've done. So you have this unique perspective, but you can apply the law to what they're doing as well. Love that. Thank you. Yeah, it was funny. Actually, in law school, you know, I had done undergrad. I was working during that. I had done my MBA. Then I went to law school and I, and I was still one of the younger ones in class. I was on baby two and three, but I'm sitting there going, these babies right out of undergrad have no real world experience. They had never worked for right. corporations and you could tell by the answers. And, and I'm hoping that they've learned the lessons now in the real world. And I'm not knocking. If there's any attorney that's sitting here listening, is like, Oh, I've been wanting to hang my own shingle or move into something else. Don't let what we're saying dissuade you. You have real world experience. You just need to sit down and make sure that you integrate that into your business because 
you know, we mentioned earlier about how is the legal industry changing to flat rate virtual and all that. It's also becoming very business minded. It's becoming very resource based. So sit back and think about the things that you have learned, whether it's from your clients or through your own experience and practice Mm -hmm. so far, bring that to the forefront and use that until you can accumulate more experience. Yeah. I'm curious about something, Rachel, and this is in talking to lawyers over the years, especially after practice, I did a lot of work with law firms on business development and the fact that you've got to be confident in what you're selling. And a lot of lawyers aren't, you know, one of the most terrifying conversations is they pray. I, I do this little skit where I'll say, as the lawyer, you're sitting there going, please, 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 please don't ask me my hourly rate. And please, <laughs> please, please don't ask me what it's going to cost. Everything else, let me tell you how great I am and all my experience. But I think lawyers need to embrace not only their value, but understand that it is about value. Mm-hmm. And how can you help someone grow their value if you don't look at your own value? And that's hard. I mean, you know, we still can be in a position of feeling, well, first of all, it also depends on how you're raised. Were you raised or in the society time where you didn't talk about money? Was it like a dirty laundry type of thing? Even if you are providing a service. So I never really had that confident money talk or disclosure. Like that was a family thing. You didn't talk about that elsewhere. And then as you're, you know, you're growing and you're like, I don't have much experience. I don't know about charging. I've been doing this so long now. I'm so glad you you know brought this up because I just was thinking this morning when I had a client, potential client reach out and go, well, how are you better than LegalZoom? I was confident to say my hourly rate. I am higher than most people in the area. I am now confident with that because I have the experience to back it up. In the beginning, I probably, and I still can feel myself wanting to sidestep the conversation. I think that's where it's all about making it a value-based conversation because I'm not a price tag. I'm, you're not rocking down Walmart and picking me off of a shelf. If that's your mentality, I'm not the attorney for you. As you've seen, I'm going to come in, I'm going to find your business dirty laundry and we're going to become friends. So if you're just wanting to go on price, great. If you're, I'm not for you, but if you're in a position and you're like, oh, I want to have that confidence, it's practicing it. It honestly is forcing yourself to practice and say, And I like to use the sandwich method a lot. So you want to have bread, meat, and bread. Forget the cheese for now. No condiments. We want to have like fluffy goodness value based. The meat is going to be the answer to the question of what your hourly rates are. And then more like bread of value, value, you know, value positioning. Much like when I was explaining the trademark situation earlier, my difference from LegalZoom. I didn't lead with I'm $4,000. I said that as for us as an internal conversation, but in the portion where I'm explaining what my collections are and the benefit, I slipped it in. So if you go back and think, I talked about all that's included, actually I set it up to show why it'd be important to come to a law firm over LegalZoom, slipped in my rate in the middle, and then closed out with all the benefits and how you can prevent future costs and pain. Yeah, there's so many people that don't have the confidence in there. You're right, Jeff. And and it's hard. You don't wake up one day and have the confidence. You really have to be intentional about it. And one of the mindset shifts that I've tried to make is that people are asking because they want to pay me. They wouldn't be asking otherwise. So why I don't want to I don't want to attach my potential money issues on them. Right. Because mm-hmm. I come from a very frugal family. And so I'm sure my mom probably have a stroke if she knew what I charged. And <laughs> I love her, but, it, but it's, it's very true. She's not my potential client. Well, she gets my legal services for free. But <laughs> I don't want to attach that like frugality mindset right. 
onto someone else who may not have that. So I lay it out there and then I wait to see what their response is. And then we can talk about it. I mean, for the most part, my flat rate stuff is what it is because I have hammered it and uh, fixed it over the years. I know what they need, but there are sometimes situations where like, okay, how can we fit this for your business? Which also may mean with your budget as well. But yeah, just practice it and be mindful of like the money, money blocks. It's like the buzzword these days, but the mindset blocks, just making sure you're not imparting your perspective on someone else. Cause then it's only going to negatively hurt you. There's definitely psychology to the money, money talk. And when you're talking with your, your clients, let's say you have a photographer client that is, you know, they're, they're kind of in the mid range of, of pricing, but they don't, their quality is actually better, but they're not ready to move forward. Do you encourage them to stay there oh, yeah. and get comfortable with that and then move forward? No, no, I answered the question too quick. No, I will say you are so good. You need to charge more (laughs) and I will encourage them. And if they, you know, that opens the door, if they ask about like how to transition in pricing, do we need to change anything with the contracts? No, I'm pretty blunt as you can tell. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily tell a client how your work sucks. You need to charge less. Um, (laughs) Actually, I don't think I've ever had one. Uh, Most of the people, I think by the time they come to me are really well-versed in their craft. So they're solid photographers at that point. But yeah, I will. I've told them I, I hire photographers all the time for my own stuff and I'll tell them. And I, then I try to joke and say, Oh, I should have waited till after I signed the contract. But I say, you need to charge more for it because you're worth more. And I think it's also good hearing that from someone they consider a peer and not, you know, I'm not just an attorney sitting in an ivory tower. I'm down there with them. I understand. And they take it, they relate it. It really does help a lot. And, and I think it's, I'm glad you asked this question because I think it's important that we're listening to this feedback and soliciting this type of feedback from clients who are not your friends and family, That's <laughs> important, yes. right? Um, or right. someone that you've paid, given a free session to, and then you ask for uh, a testimonial. It, it has a psychological impact. It's going to be inflated, whether it's intentional or not. And so listen to your clients and ask, and that's another one, you know, along you're talking about money. How do you tell them your billable hour? Another area that I just cringe and want to sidestep is asking for feedback because you never want to hear anything negative. And, but it's one of the only ways to continue growing. Yeah, I mean, I feel good right now, even just thinking about having to ask for feedback. (laughs) I think Rachel, you brought up an interesting topic that doesn't directly align with everything we're saying, but I think it's an important lesson for business owners and people in business that You've got to look, I think we've got to look holistically at how we look at money and our decisions. So law firms are a great example. Law firms want to be, they want to sell on a relationship. They want to say they're all about value. They're going to charge these fees. And yet on the back end, the way they interact with their vendors is just the opposite. They're trying to get the cheapest deal. They're not doing on value. They're not doing relation. I said, wait a minute. I feel like you're out of alignment now. You've got to walk your talk. And I think whether they know what's happening they sense what's happening if you're not the real deal. And so I think people need to be cognizant of how you do business with everyone is how you do business with everyone, even if you <laughs> say it differently. I have my own hypothesis about this and it can be getting to, I have absolutely no statistics to back this up. This is from the Rachel School of Hard Knocks and people watching. <laughs> I truly feel, okay, I'm an attorney. I am all about relationships with my clients. I'm all about the money and maximizing blah, blah, blah. Then I turn around to my vendor 
I literally at that point have taken my business owner hat off and I put my consumer hat on. It's like a Pavlonian response. We're ingrained to respond certain ways in certain situations. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that business owners should treat their vendors, you know, try to penny pinch and all that sort of stuff. But it's almost like, and you just said, you have to be intentional to feel when you're taking that hat on and off and making sure that you're consistent all the way through. You know, that's, I mentioned before, I hire photographers on a quarterly basis to have stuff for social media, website, because it's so important. And I don't do it based on the cheapest. I want to who's going to be quality and provide all these other things that I need. And because I also know in turn, it, that will come back. That's not the goal, but I know that A, I'll be served really well. But if there's any referrals, it will also come back to me because I've treated them with respect. I don't, I also am one of the mindset, I don't really believe in um, trades. Um, I think that I should pay you for your services and you pay me for my services. We do it as separate transactions. I mean, there are some exceptions I've done with like my hair lady. I did photographs for one time, but uh, I feel like anytime there's trades, you, it's the whole hat thing. The hat thing changes because at one point you're going to be the consumer. Your behavior may change, but you also don't want to potentially ruin that relationship by there being this, you know, unequal feeling of Mm -hmm. fulfillment in the agreement. Yeah, that's a good point. One thing I have to add about that, because this one happens pretty regularly to me because I work with people in the professions pretty often. And I'll have a lawyer say, he'll say, he'll be asking about coaching and say, how much is it? And I'll tell him and he'll go, wow, that's really expensive. And I'll go, huh, that's interesting. I said, so I'm just curious, how much higher is your hourly rate? I don't usually use hourly, but you can calculate it, right? And they just, this long silence. And I'm going, and I want to say, look, your hourly rate is more than double mine. And yet you're saying this. So I'm not here to sell you, but are you aware of what you just said? And I really don't think they are. And a lot of times I will say it a little more indirectly, but I'll say something like, I'm just curious. Do you hear that from your clients as well? And what are your thoughts on that? And he'll go tell me, (laughs) I'm adding all this value. And I'll say, thank you for answering my own, your own question. Right right into the coaching right there. That's good. (laughs) Right. I was, it's funny you bring that up. I was just looking at an insurance benefit statement of an estimation for a surgery I'm going to be having. And it, it was not lost on me that the amount was the equivalent of like two trademarks that I do. And I just was thinking my profit margin is so much bigger than this medical office. who They're going to have like 17 people on staff, all the equipment and everything. But I, it was kind of the same thing went through my mind. I was like, how do consumers look at that though? I'm big into consumer psychology. One of my favorite books, uh, well, Dr. Richard Caldini has a couple of them. Yeah. One is Influence, The Power of Persuasion, and he has a persuasion one. Yep. Love them. Even if you're not in business, I think they're, I use those techniques on my kids to get my dishes washed. So <laughs> they are wonderful books to have. They are business-based, but um, I, I always love to get into the psychology of this sort of stuff because what what kind of response do we have? Like, for example, you know, I'm all about ordering on Amazon all day or Instacart because even if it's increased prices because it's free shipping. Whereas what is the psychology of when shipping is broken out? You know, that's a very simplistic example here. But I think that we're mindful of, especially as business owners, when we're approaching vendors, it, the example you just gave is perfect. We just need to be mindful of valuing the others, especially if it's a personal services. I think that's important because what many business owners, especially if you're newer in the beginning, and I walk through time exercises with my clients and stuff, but you think, oh, it's just an hour of my time. 
well, what could you have done in that hour? Like, what could you have made? What are connections you could have done? And so time is a commodity we can never get back. We cannot replenish it. You cannot maximize it. And anyways, yeah, it's a little tangent for me, but yeah, I I think that these are wonderful conversations and I I'll get on rants on social media, business to business. You would, we need to treat each other more professionally. We need to treat each other with more value than is happening. Right. Rachel, this is so good and such an important conversation, not only for the people that you're in a position to serve, they can hear a different message, but also for encouraging business owners to look differently Mm-hmm. at what it means to grow their business and the ways that legal advice, which is mixed with the right people with that business advice and business strategy is so incredibly valuable to them. And they can really be a partner, not just say we partner, but to demonstrate a partnership mindset. I'm here to help you grow and mm-hmm. I'm going to invest in you and you're going to invest in me. Yeah, And that's a very different conversation that I think not only benefits your clients, but it benefits the entire system of yes. business when we do business that way with each other. Mm-hmm. So I think you're saying a lot, my opinion, you're saying a lot more than just here's how to look at lawyers and law firms and doing business. So thank you for all of that, Rachel. Love, love your messages. We always want our guests to have a chance to highlight or promote anything that's going on for you or your business. What is that? Okay. So you guys can find me at rachelbranke.com. It will get you to all the places of all the things that I'm doing. We are opening our 2022 mastermind in January. So we look at an application and interview process, but it's high-performing entrepreneurs who like the mindset strategy aspects that I'm taking with business, try to help you get to the next level. We'll walk through a lot of what we talked about here, but very deeply to make sure we can develop a plan and implement it. Uh, But other than that, just hit me up on social media. I try to do as much as my own interaction on social media as I can. I love to hear feedback. Oh, cringe. Make sure it's good. So I don't cry. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But I would love to hear if anything resonated here. If you guys have any questions, hit, hit me with them. I'm there for you. So thank you for all that, Rachel. We'll put the website and your social media links in the show notes. Uh, We always wrap up with a question. And my question for you today is, put you on the spot here. I would like you to share with our listeners, what's that one critical piece of wisdom they need to hear from you today? One critical piece. Oh, I've got like 500. No, we got to wrap this up. Um, I think the biggest, biggest piece of advice is something I'm still learning is recognizing the season of life that you're in. Right. We in in evolving and pivoting with that, which we were forced to do during pandemic. But I know I can just think of major times in business. Even I can sit here and tell you, here's how to do A, B, and C. Um, that I was like, this is the goal. We're only gonna we're gonna do the plan. We got to do it no matter what's happening, and not lifting my head up and looking around to see what's going on. Has did pandemic hit and all of a sudden I'm virtual, you know, teaching kids at home or whatever, because you're gonna be ineffective to yourself, your business, and your consumers. Um, if you're just head to the grindstone, you know, it, it, I hate all those sayings of, you know, fake it till you make it and the hustle. I don't agree with hustle culture. So taking the time to check in with yourself, focus on your rocks and recognize the season that you're life in and just, just mold with that. That's the way you're going to be able to long-term consistently have the business you want. Right. I love it. Great wisdom. Great wisdom from someone who has walked it lived it, been in the chair, is still in the chair, and is helping others in the chair. So lots of chair references there. I'll close with that. Thank you, Rachel, for being here. And especially thanks for doing law differently. 
it definitely matters. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a good one. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.